morning. Well, sorry to disappoint you this morning. There's no huge props or <laughs> demonstrations this morning. Uh, <laughs> uh, just some minor ones this morning. Uh, the first one is the shirt on my back. Um, I'm talking about the story of Joseph in the Bible. And uh, the coat of many colors was, uh, so I wore my striped colored shirt this morning. So there's prop one for you. And uh, so uh, anyways, uh, just want to talk about the, the power of surrender. But before we dive into that, I got a couple jokes for you. Um, here's our first one. Soccer not allowed. Uh, soccer may only be played in the archery range. And our second one here, I'm here for you, thanks, I'm going through a tough time, so it means a lot, and sorry, I lost all my contacts, who is this? This is your Uber driver, I'm here to pick you up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how many of you have ever lost your phone and you didn't have your contacts and people are texting you and you're just like, who is this? <laughs> It's not as bad nowadays because, you know, with a lot of the stuff, there's backups, and so you can restore them pretty easy. But anyway, so like I said, this morning I'm going to be sharing on the power of surrender. And I'm going to read through here real quick a review of Joseph's story in the Bible. So this is just an overview here, so just bear with me as I read through this. The story of Joseph from the book of Genesis is one of a heroic redemption and forgiveness. Joseph was the most loved son of his father, Jacob, given the famous robe of many colors. <laughs> when Joseph reported having dreams of his brothers and even the stars and moons bowing before him, their jealousy of Joseph grew into action. The brothers sold him into slavery to a traveling car caravan of Ishmaelites, and who took him to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard. In Egypt, the Lord's presence with Joseph enabled him to find favor with Potiphar and the keeper of the prison. With God's help, Joseph interprets the dream of the two prisoners, predicting that one of them will be reinstated, but the other will be put to death. Joseph then interprets the dream of Pharaoh, which anticipates seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh recognizes Joseph's God-given ability and, pro and, promotes, and prompts his promotion to the chief administrator of Egypt. Shortage of food in Canaan forces Jacob to send his sons to buy grains from the Egyptian. Benjamin... Joseph's younger brother remains at home as Jacob fears losing him, as he did Joseph. When Joseph finally encounters his brothers again, he deliberately conceals his identity. He accuses them of being spies and tells them to return with Benjamin or he will not sell them any grain. The ongoing famine forces Jacob to reluctantly send his son, sons back to Egypt with Benjamin. And they are unexpectedly invited to dine with Joseph's house. Joseph then tests the characters of his brothers by placing a silver cup in the sack of Benjamin and has it inspected and accused of theft. When Judah offers to stay in place of Benjamin, Joseph knows that his character has changed 
and reveals that he is their brother. Joseph explains they need not feel guilty for betraying him as if as it was God's plan for him to be in Egypt to preserve his family. He told them to bring their father and his entire household to in Egypt to live in the province of Goshen because there, there were five more years of famine left. So then Joseph supplies everything that his family needs to move and live there. Uh, Jacob is then joyously reunited with his son Joseph. So the area I want to focus in this story this morning is in Genesis chapter 50. And we'll be starting with verse 14. And one of the verses in this section is one that many of us have heard uh, time and time again. But I want to start, like I said, at verse 14 to give what I believe is um, a Holy Spirit-inspired context of, on it and how it just ushers in principles in this text for problems that maybe you are facing in your own life. And I believe this message, if you let it, it'll be getting to a very personal root in some of our lives. With the help of the Holy Spirit this morning, I want to show you what, it, what makes this verse so great, and that is verse 20. And verse 20, where it says that God takes what others meant for evil and uses it for good. And I'm going to show you this morning what's so amazing about that verse. So let's, let's dive in with verse 14 here in chapter 15. And here we go, number 14. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. He and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. Now pay attention here. Here comes some personal decisions, both on Joseph's part and his brothers. 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did. So remember in the story, his brothers uh, originally were going to kill him, um, but then, and they threw him in a pit, then, but the one of them had some reason, came to their senses and said, well, let's just, let's sell him off to slavery. So they had done some pretty evil things to their very own brother. And this is, right now, is, this isn't the best time to think about uh, the consequences of your actions, you know, they're, uh, they're not really sorry about it here, they're making they're just making a decision to preserve themselves, right? They just got caught, and they're scared of their consequences. So listen to what they did. So they sent a messenger to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying. So what kind of relationship did Joseph have with Jacob? What was he? The favorite son. Do you, think, do you think Jacob would have conveyed a message this personal through the other brothers? No, he would have directly gone to Joseph. And so you get a sense that the brothers, to cover their butt, are uh, making up this uh, story. 
And I know Jacob would want Joseph, you know, to forgive his brothers. Let's move on here. Verse 17. Thus you, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sins, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of the servants of your God, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Now, yeah, Joseph's dad had passed away here. Um, but I don't, this isn't the reason I believe Joseph is crying here. You know, if you think about it, Joseph's dad had, had been gone for probably about three months at this point. You know, there's the 40 days back then of embalming and 30 days of mourning that they had. And then there was the 11-day, approximate 11-day journey there and back. And so, you know, it had been about three months. So Joseph had time to mourn for his father. But this, I feel here he's crying or or weeping because uh, he's weeping because his brothers still in some ways haven't fully changed. There's some old habits that they're falling back on. And they, they, they are not being truthful to their brother. But Joseph, after all, even after all the grace that he has already given them, says this. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servant. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What a spirit of grace. What a spirit of grace. The power of surrender. When you choose to surrender to the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to our Father in heaven, there is an amazing amount of grace that is released not only over your life, but that you are to release to the lives around you. And that's a model here that Joseph is releasing. Joseph saw God's purpose in this moment and in this season. And, I, and he says, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and even spoke kindly to them, even after what they had just done. In verse 18 and 19, you know, they... They even put on a full show. I, you know, they throw themselves at his feet, you know, and said, behold, we are your servants. But he just turns to them and says, do not be afraid, for, I, for am I in the place of God? Joseph wasn't their judge. God was their judge. And Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that through surrender, Through the power of your spirit, it allows us to surrender everything we're going through and begin to stand up for it in deliverance. 
for what we're going through. Point one, the position we're in influences the decisions we make. The positions, the position we're in really influences the decision we make. And it's an illustration that's throughout the book of Genesis. And here's a, here's a quick one that we'll do. So I do, I'm going to do a demonstration. Jeremiah can't do, go without doing some kind of demonstration. David, will you turn off the lights of the house? Now in Genesis, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, David, turn the lights back off again. Jeremiah could walk around all day long and say, let there be light. No light. Let there be light. No light. And unless I'm actually physically standing by the light switch and have paid the power bill, I can't turn on the light. I can't command the light to be there because that is not the position I am in. And that's what Joseph was showing there. David, you can go ahead and turn the lights back on. That's what Joseph was showing there to his brothers. Who am I? I'm not God. I'm not in the position of God. He's the one in control of the circumstances. He's the one in control. And only he has the power to say, let there be light. Let there be healing. Let there be forgiveness through my son. He was in the position. The position that you're in determines the decisions you make. A subpoint to this, you are not God. The position I'm in influences the decision that I make. So another uh, example, parenting. When you start doing stuff that your parents used to do when you were a kid, how many of you can relate to that as adults? And a um, funny thing that happened the other day is we were driving in the car. I had picked up my wife. I'd been her chauffeur for the last couple of weeks because of her foot surgery. And uh, I had gotten, Ella had made these uh, little cakes during her um, at school. And so I had put, saved one for Melissa and I had it, you know, tucked in this one area and had a bunch of powdered sugar all over it. So I'd had it all wrapped up. And so we get in the car and, and um, we start driving and Melissa just starts grabbing things. I Normally, I don't pay attention to it. I don't know. But she grabs that, picks it up, the powdered sugar, dumps all out, and immediately that comes out of my mouth. I don't know exactly how I said it, but I just said, don't touch things that you don't know what's in there. <laughs> and uh, she's like, the way I said it, I guess, she's like, you sounded just like your mom. <laughs> And I might not have said it exactly right of how I said it to Melissa. But, you know, that's, we do find ourselves as parents um, understanding, beginning to understand the position that our parents were in when we were kids. So the position I'm in influences the decisions that I make. As a parent, 
I now have an understanding of that position. I have decisions to make based on not only the finances of making that household run, but also the protection of those that are under my care. And so I had those decisions to make, so I'm in that position. Now, it's hard for your kids to relate to that position because they're not parents. They're not in that position yet. And a lot of times they'll be like, you don't want me to have any fun. You won't let me hang out with any of my friends. Um, You won't let me do that. Well, as a parent, you're making decisions. I want, as my kid, with my kids, I want them to have a good time with their friends. But also, too, as a parent, I'm looking at who they're hanging out with, where the boundaries need to be. I'm there to protect. And sometimes that's the position I am. And we need to also, too, know not to go around judging people for the position that they're in. We need to understand that people may be going through some circumstances of brokenness and hurt and desperate situations. And sometimes we haven't been through that particular situation, or we have and we're not in that season. But we need to have an understanding that, uh, and have some empathy for when they're going that and not be so judgmental. Joseph could have easily, in the position that he's in, judged his brothers. He could have. He had every right to. His brothers were wrong. What they did to him was wrong. But he showed grace. He showed forgiveness. You know, my boss a boss, previous boss that I had, I was just a regular employee, and I used to always think, if I was in charge, I would do things different. Then I became an assistant underneath that boss, and that boss let me do some of the ideas that I had. I quickly learned, within a matter of weeks, why we did it the other way. <laughs> there was an increase in wisdom. Now, there was some of my ideas that got worked into some of the mix, and that's always good. You know, new, fresh ideas for the circumstance is good as well. But sometimes there's a reason why God asks you to stay the course on this plan and do it this way. And we need to listen to that. Point two, let's flip point one. The decisions you make influence the position that you're in. So we're going from the position that you're in, the position you're in influences the decision you make, to the decision you make influences the position you're in. A lot of times we like to blame others and other reasons for the decisions we make, right? This is one of the human flaws. <laughs> When was the last time, using the job scenario again, when was the last time you heard somebody after they got fired, they say, man, I just really sucked at that job. That's why I got fired. Or, you know, I was lazy. You know, I don't blame them. That's why they fired me. Or I talked too much and I played too much on my phone. I spent seven hours on my phone and only one hour working. (laughs) 
I can tell you as a boss, I had never heard anybody say that when they were let go. Never once. There's always some excuse to, that it's your fault or some other employee's fault or some other circumstances. Uh, so nobody says it. They're not truthful. They don't own up to their action. And then also in church, we can even play a more dangerous game. Uh, we will slap a spiritual justification on something that happened through a series of decisions that we made that therefore enabling this dysfunction by over-spiritualizing your decision. Just like Joseph's brothers used their dad to cover their butts. Sometimes as Christians, we're guilty of using our Father's word to cover our butts in our decisions. Instead of taking responsibility for our actions. These two points go hand in hand. The position you're in influences the decisions you make. For example, sometimes we, we do something because of these life or physical circumstances. And maybe it could be at no fault of your own. Pastor Dan is in a circumstance, an event right now. No fault of his own. No fault of his own. So sometimes those things happen. No fault of your own. Or it can be our fault. Just as different things that happen in the story with Joseph and his brothers. Where his brothers were was the course of their decisions. And through certain habits and decisions, those can also prolong or determine the position I'm in by those very decisions. When we talk about the enemy attacking me, a lot of times we'll say, well, the enemy's attacking me. The enemy's attacking me. I want to address something here. As believers in Christ, that's not an excuse. I feel the Holy Spirit saying, I'm, it's not the attack that matters the most. It's what you're doing during and after the attack. Saints, what are you doing during and after the attack of the enemy? What were you doing? The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. The enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. Now, it doesn't say here he can devour whoever he wants, does it? Or attack whoever he wants, does it? The difference between him attacking you and devouring you will be determined by the decisions you make during the attack. So you, when you feel anxious, a spirit of anxiousness, what do you do when you feel that anxiety? When you feel sad, who do you speak to 
about that sadness. When you feel overlooked in a, a promotion or some area in life, do you retaliate or do you bring it to God? Now, in Joseph's story, there's an event that caused his situation with his brothers, with Potiphar's wife, with the men in prison. Now, Joseph could have come out of that very bitter, but he chose to what? Surrender those situations, every one of them, to God. He chose to surrender them. And in that surrender, bring us to point three, with every event, there is a decision. Within the event, there's always a decision. Today, our services at New Song, we, we refer to them as enjoying God's services. Today, we had a time of singing. Now we're in a time of the word. Those are events. The singing part is an event. The word part is an event. We had songs. That was part of the event. And, we had the, and we're having the word right now. That's part of the event. Within the event, there's always a decision. But worshiping during that event is the decision. You have to make that decision in every event. Who are you worshiping during that event? Are you worshiping your Father in heaven and what he has done in your life? Or are you worshiping something else, yourself, and covering yourself? The services event, worship is a decision. Worship is an offering. Worship is an offering. It's a decision. Each day that you breathe on this planet is an event. Are you going to make a decision to bring an offering of worship to your king, in your family, in your job, in your community, in your nation, to those around you? The song, the battle belongs to the Lord, the part that says, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. We have a decision, even when we're not feeling like it, to choose whether or not we're going to, one, either be devoured by the enemy, or two, we're going to bring an offering of worship to our king in our lives. And in that, we will see victory because the enemy has been defeated. Where? On the cross by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? And you can claim that victory and surrender to our Lord Jesus Christ. You can claim that victory over your family. You can claim that victory over your job. You can claim that victory over that healing that you need in your body. And you can claim that victory over any circumstance, any event in your life through the power of surrender to our Lord Jesus Christ. Your worship is a decision. 
The more we separate the event from the decision, the more room it gives God to move in our situation. You have a decision to make. Fun example here. It takes a special kind of person to wake early, up early and still be late. Uh, that's me right here. I'm tattling on myself. That's me right here. It could be others of you in the room, but that's me right here. I get up every day somewhere between 4 a.m., somewhere around that time. I don't have to be to work till 6. You know what time I get to work? 6.20. Every single day I get to work sometime between 6.15 and 6.20. Right now I'm giving the excuse that I have to take my wife to work and she has to be there at 6, so I can't be there until 6.20. There's, there's always an excuse, isn't there? <laughs> On time is the event. What you do before you leave the house is the decision. I'm making decisions in the event that is making me late to work. You see what I'm saying? I'm making decisions to spend too long somewhere or do something that I shouldn't be doing because my goal is to get to work at 6 a.m. I'm making a decision during the event. Now, there are some really tough examples, but even in the bad things that happen in life, abuse, trauma, destruction, human error, we have a decision to make in those times. The trauma I went through, and I can relate to some of the pain Pastor Dan's going through, is but when a trauma is caused by someone, you want to blame them. But there has to be a time that comes where you lay that down and surrender and offer the same grace to that person that was offered to you on the cross. And forgive them. I suffered for a while from really bad anxiety. And I kept doing all the religious things. Claiming this, claiming that, claiming this, claiming that. Until one day the Holy Spirit said, how come you're not letting it go? Why aren't you surrendering it? Why aren't you laying it down? You have to make that decision to lay it down. Point four, the power of surrender. We have to stop blaming the events in our lives or our situation. Joseph was a model for this. He didn't blame the, life, the events in his life or his situation. And what does God do? In verse 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as, it's the, as, as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, this could have been 
This very easily could have been the worst verse in the Bible. This could have been the worst verse in the Bible right here. If it had stopped at, you meant evil against me. And that's where a lot of times we stop in our lives. An event happens in our lives and we stop there. You meant evil against me. Do you realize what you did to me? We can stop there or we can allow God to put the comma. We can allow God to put the comma there. I know in one word, in one breath, even in one comma, my God can break off every chain from any event, any life event, any life circumstances. He can break it off with one word, one breath, one comma, he can change it, and that changes this verse entirely. But as for you, you meant evil against me, comma, allowing Christ to step in, but God meant it, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. When you surrender the event in your life, it allows the power of God to be released through you to what? Save many people alive. You are being released to be chain breakers in the world around you. You are partnering with God to be the comma in the event that is going on in people's lives. We get to partner with him to break off the chains of affliction so that the enemy cannot devour those people but can set them free and bring life to them. I'm going to have the worship team come up. So finish the sentence. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day. This day. This day right now. This day to save many people alive. So let's... The worship team is going to sing through this song the first time. And I really felt in the ministry time today that God just wants you to take this, this first time through the song. And I, I really believe the Holy Spirit is, because there even can be things that are buried in our lives that we have buried, that we haven't fully surrendered to God, and we keep wondering what, what keeps going on here. Well, I believe the Holy Spirit, He wants to reveal those to each of us this morning. And also, too, there may be some things that are just right out in front of you, right there going on right now in your life that the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside you and just help you surrender it to God this morning and allow his power to be released over that so that whatever the enemy meant for bad in that situation, God's going to take it and he's going to turn it around for good. He's going to turn it around for good. However, he sees that. So 
like I said, they're going to sing through this first song. Just allow the Holy Spirit to come and release that. And then when they enter into the second part, time through the song, I want you then to engage in the song as an act of surrender for those life events that the Holy Spirit has brought to your remembrance. So let's worship. Father, we just thank you for what you did when you sent your son to die for us on the cross. And Lord, just we take these life events and we make the decision right now, Heavenly Father, to surrender it at your feet in the name of Jesus. We just pray, Lord Jesus, that you bring 
peace and comfort and joy amongst the circumstances. Surround us with your love right now, Lord Jesus. Even if we don't see how it's going to happen, Lord Jesus, you're going to release the tools to us in our act of surrender right now to be released fully in you and who we are in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just lay these at your feet, Lord, and we just say we love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done in our lives. May our worship be a decision. May our worship be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear because we're choosing to surrender it all to you so that you can complete a good work in us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that in your name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, saints, for coming this morning. Be blessed as you go from here today. There